1: Coming up today on the Shift Daily podcast, if you could know when you're going to die, let's try to be a little more positive, how long you're going to live for, would you want to know? Dr. Morgan Levine, assistant professor adjunct in pathology at Yale University, gets into how scientists are learning how we age and how the perception of our age matters. What is the most important thing Ukrainians are doing every day to survive the Russian invasion, to make life continue, to make the country better? We get an update on the politics of day to day lives of Ukrainians from lawyer and advocate Stepan Berko, who is in Kiev. plus we go back to 1981 on the inflation special of game showy how much do things cost it's all on the shift daily podcast this is the shift podcast let's take a little look at this fun little game that we call game showy
2: that's right
1: It's our trivia show here on The Shift, and we called it Game Showing because we were out of time and had to come up with a quick name. That's kind of dumb. But still, here's your host, Ryan O'Donnell.
3: Oh, well, uh, thank you, Bob. How are you doing? Oh, I changed the voice a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) How you doing, Bob? I'm great, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Welcome, my friends, to Game Showy, the most original game show ever created that is not influenced, inspired, or uh, directed by any other game show that has ever existed. Never. Nothing. Never, not even close. Uh, we are we have a pretty special episode of game show here, my friends, Ooh, because like we are going back in time for our game of the trivia. It was just over forty years ago that inflation hit the highest it ever hit and ever has hit in uh, Canada. So why don't we go back to 1981, just over forty years ago, and we can do some trivia, inflation, culture, everything to do with 1981. So our categories are. Everyday Life in 1981 Vacationing in 1981 and a good old-fashioned throwback to 1981 The rules are very simple Contestants will pick a category and a value for their question This week we are playing for coupons because we could use coupons for literally anything because everything's so expensive If you get the answer right you get to hear this lovely sound
1: Ooh Ooh
3: Ah, and if it's wrong, 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 and a good tip, gentlemen, as a reminder, your opponent has five seconds to steal if you get the answer incorrect, and you can also use the text line for help, but you must pick an answer given by the listeners. Do we have any questions, comments, or queries? Uh,
1: no, I think oh,
0: I'm good. You could uh, be king. Oh, I got a comment. I just, uh, I very much enjoyed how you said coupon and coupon. coupon. You said both. Look, yeah, in the- yeah. I
3: can't figure out. Is there, is there a correct uh, I, way, I don't know. or I don't is know it kind of like just? Yeah. I think it's
0: an East Coast
1: West Coast thing. Right,
3: coupon I versus it. coupon. Anyway. I gotta
1: get my coupons. Oh yeah. All right, thanks, Bob. It's time for game showing. Back in 1981, we also had crazy inflation, so we're celebrating prices, everyday life, vacationing, and all things 1981, when things were sucking as bad as they are today for everyday life. Nailed it. Thanks, Bob. (laughs) You're welcome, Bob.
3: Uh, Who won? I honestly can't remember. It was Shane won last week, correct? Yeah. yeah. All right, Brendan, I'm going to let yeah. you go. I, I'm kind of liking this. Whoever okay. wins doesn't go first next time. Keeps All you right. guys on your toes. So, okay. Brendan, please pick a category oh. and a question. Let's do this. <laughs> All
0: right. Um, I love how
1: you spelled coupon wrong on every <laughs> question.
3: Whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm that's not my concern. I don't need a typo in my uh, in my list of questions here.
0: And the second one on vacationing for me. is you still so, a brochure you're not supposed
3: to be reading those. This is for me. Not well, that's
0: how we see. I'll go with vacationing in 1981. But for the brochure, that's up there. Oh, the <laughs> <laughs> <coupon. laughs>
3: uh, OK. Um, well, actually, that is a leftover question from last week. That's why. It's, oh. <laughs> that's why. Pingos. Pingos, correct. (laughs) Pingos, Okay. (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, Brendan, if you wanted to take a road trip across Canada in 1981, you could take a wood panel station wagon, or you could get there in a much faster way. The Chevy Corvette, beautiful, in 1981, was one of the fastest cars of that year. Now, fun fact about the Corvette, the speedometer would only ever tell you you were going 85 miles an hour, even though it could do over 160, try to stop you from speeding. That's dangerous. How much did a Corvette cost brand spanking new in 1981? Was it 16000 20000 55000 or
0: $42,000? Hmm. Hmm. You're probably doing it different this week and made a conscious effort to do it completely different this week. Yeah, if
1: you missed it last yeah. week, we totally called out Ryan yeah. with his bad because patterns. Of bad the bad brain. patterns,
0: yeah. Um... Oh, could you could you name those again?
3: <laughs> 16,000, yes, 20,000, mm-hmm. 55,000 or $42,000. Brain spanking new. 20,000. 20,000 is Correct. Yes, twenty thousand dollars. Technically, it's twenty thousand nine hundred eighteen dollars and sixty eight cents, uh, which is about sixty five thousand dollars two hundred forty seven, uh, or sixty five thousand two hundred forty seven dollars <laughs> and thirty eight cents. There's a lot of numbers in front of me, um, which is uh, quite the markup. I'm actually curious how much does a brand new Corvette go for? Twenty twenty two. Let's see. Any guesses? This is not for points.
0: Seven million.
1: Million. I did read a great article about how um the the Corvette is still one of the best bang for your bucks for what you get for the price oh, compared to all some the other. Yeah.
3: Uh yeah. 2022 uh 60,000 for the coupe and 68 for the convertible. There you go. So pretty 96,000
1: for a Cabrio 3LT 2022 95,988.
0: Yeah. Come, Come on, move this, car. Is, this isn't Top Gear. Let's move along. No. <laughs> <laughs> move along.
3: Move along. All right. That's one coupon for Brennan Kelly. Shane, my friend, go ahead.
1: <sighs> um, I'm going to go with uh, Everyday Life 1981. I'm going to go for two coupons. Two coupons. Cubons. Let's do it. So
3: I've mentioned this a couple of times already that inflation hit the highest it's ever hit. In 1981,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: how high did it get? What was the percentage rate of the inflation in 1981? Here are your options. 9.1%, 13.42%, 22.75%, or
1: 16.15? I think it's the 19, 13, whatever the closest to 14 was, please, Bob. 13.42. That Mm -hmm. is
3: incorrect mm. what Brenny Kelly you've got five seconds I
0: can steal okay 22.5 uh, yeah. get out of
3: 0. here 75. but yes it hit 22 that is correct I knew that's that. how high inflation got in 1981 incredible number when you compare it to what we are currently dealing with today obviously money was a little bit you know different back then but still 22% we're complaining quite a bit today <laughs> <It's so cool. laughs> Lots. Okay, so oh, I'm a, down a by three. That's three. three yeah, and it's now Brendan's turn. Yeah. So Brendan could so run away. Lucky, I, I say, read
0: that like the other day. And I remember.
3: Yeah, it. I also read that in an article. I was almost certain that you guys were going <laughs> to pick that from its end. The news. I will say that I do have a bailout question. Just like how the government gives us some bailout money In the carbon tax, I've got <sighs> uh, I've got a bailout question for you. It's worth five points, but it is incredibly difficult and it is hidden. If you want to go for it, you must be in the losing. You can't go for it when you're winning and it is hidden. I'll let you know. Right. Brennan Kelly, is your turn. Please pick a category and a question.
0: Uh, I will go with throwback to 1980. Have we done that category? Yep. That's a we have
3: not done throwback yet.
0: Okay. Throwback to 1981 for two coupons.
3: For two coupons. <laughs> for two coupons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who won the Gray Cup? In 1981, oh, wow. was it the, and using the current team names, oh. was it the Edmonton Elks, the Montreal Alouettes, the Ottawa Red Blacks, or the BC Lions?
0: Um, Edmonton, Ottawa, what was the other one? And BC, and what was that
3: Edmonton, Montreal, Montreal Ottawa, mm. and BC.
0: Well, I will be... Friendly with our friends at AM 730 who broadcast the BC Lions just over there behind me. And I'll mm-hmm. say it's the BC it Lions. Ooh. It was not
3: the BC Lions. Mm-hmm. Shane, you got five seconds. Can you steal it?
1: I'm going to go with the City of Champions because it's the 80s and I don't really know and go with Edmonton.
3: That is mm-hmm. correct. Yes, that is correct. That's just the timer running out. That is correct. Two people, yeah, the... Uh, Back then, they were the Eskimos. Uh, they won their fourth consecutive Grey Cup that year, beating the Ottawa Rough Riders, who were still... Remember when there were two teams in the CFL with the same name? That's, oh, crazy. that's That was weird. Uh, and a fun fact, that same year, the Montreal Alouettes folded and became the Montreal Concords for a few years and then became the Alouettes again. It was yeah. a weird time in the CFL. Did not know that. All right, Shane. Well, you are down one coupon. And you have an opportunity to get ahead here.
1: To get ahead. Oh, that's pressure. So it's three to two right now. Three to two. Uh, I'm going to go with vacationing, please, for uh, two coupons.
3: Two coupons. Vacationing,
1: everyday life, and throwback to 1981. Yeah, vacationing, two coupons.
3: Okay, all right. Let's do this one. How much did a plane ticket from Toronto to Vancouver cost in 1981? So this is not adjusted for inflation. The numbers I'm giving you would be prices in 1981. I will give you the inflationary numbers after you answer. Here are your options. $567, $336,
1: $742, or just over $1,000. In 1981, a plane ticket from Toronto to Vancouver... Does not address if I was sitting on this side of the curtain for non-smoking or that side of the curtain for smoking.
3: <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a time capsule. On the
1: airplane. In the sky. Hey, by the way, you can't take a bottle of pop with you through security, but you used to be able to smoke on an airplane. That's weird. <laughs> Here's your lighter. Yeah, <laughs> Man, <laughs> I'm going with 336, Rye, because I'm guessing based on your earlier inflation numbers mm-hmm. about how much things cost in the other question being you know like so much more i'm gonna kind of figure it's like three times as much yeah so that's my 36 Okay. So, yeah uh, well i'm using the other answer as my clue okay well uh, the clue
3: led you in the right direction because that is correct ding, ding 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 that is correct where's the ding 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 ding, ding. ding, ding.
1: Right. there Yay! it is
3: Yay. <laughs> So Air Canada actually raised its prices nine percent in 1981, and uh, 336 dollars on a flight is the equivalent of just all under 1,100 dollars. So flights were also very expensive across the country in 1981. Yeah, air travel is very, very
1: cheaper, but your bags got there though, and you also yes, left that on time, the difference. and your that flight wasn't canceled four times. <laughs> yep. So there were benefits, and you also yes, got a meal. Were. You got a meal
3: that yeah. probably did not taste very good at all oh
1: god you know in flight meals today though they're good
3: they're getting better i got food oh no one. they're good
1: they're not but better they are better good don't get the sandwich. straight up
3: good the yeah no it was straight a up good that get, yeah okay yeah there you go yeah. okay well what a comeback here shane was down three nothing he's now in the lead four to three brendan you got some catching up to do my friend yeah. where are we going
0: uh, I guess we will go with uh, throwback to 1981 for three coupons. Three coupons.
3: Okay. Where did my question
0: go? Hold on. You lost the question. Oh, I should just get the right. points then.
1: What? <laughs> That's what a very dad that? thing to say. It didn't scan. Guess it's free. Yeah. Yeah, the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, literally. Way to go, Dad. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not
3: sure the question I had planned here is not in the right category. This is weird. Anyway, I'll give you this. I'm going to adjust. I will give you a three point question because it actually is a surprising one. What was the best selling album, music album of 1981? Technically, it was a Queen album, but it was a greatest hits album. So I do not count that. I'm talking actual, like new music, not a compilation. Okay. We have "Moving Pictures" by Rush, "Face Value" by Phil Collins, "Business as Usual" by Men at Work, or four, "Foreigner."
0: Uh, Phil Collins,
3: with uh, sales of over just under 11 million units, it was indeed Phil Collins. Phil Collins. <coughs> <laughs> Phil Collins. Love Phil Collins. Face Value. Yeah, Collins. Uh, it reached number one in the UK. Obviously, number seven on the US Billboard. It sold over five million copies in the US, 1.5 in the UK. Uh, and uh, it, yeah, uh, it's the single you know in the air tonight. The only Phil Collins song I can actually tolerate.
1: So there you go. Well, and it's really only about five or six seconds of it. But. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, studio is fun. You know, oh, that's, yeah, great.
3: that one's all right. I absolutely
1: would have guessed Michael Jackson Thriller, but I was off by a year. I think. I think that yeah, was eighty two exactly. and eighty three, right? It wasn't yeah, in the yeah Oh wild.
3: man. Okay, so Shane, you're down
1: two. Well, down I guess two. I better go with three because we're getting low on we're getting low on time. Low time. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Everyday Life in Canada in 1981 okay. for three coupons, right? Okay, this is a, this is a right. tough
3: one. I'm excited to see if you get it. This is a two-parter okay okay so you if you get the first part right you'll get two points if you can get the last part right you'll get the full three (laughs) what company became a crown corporation in 1981 Mm -hmm. petro canada canada post via rail or the royal canadian mint
1: petro canada canada post via rail or the royal canadian mint well i would hope that the mint has always been a crown corporation because you know money Petro Canada 81 I don't think that was the thing then. Um and VIA I don't think is a Crown corporation is it at all? So that would leave me with Canada Post, but that doesn't make sense because I would have thought the post was always a thing, kind of like the mint. I don't know. A B C D E A B C D E A B C D. I'll just go with the Canada <laughs> Post because that's my biggest guess because I would that to me seems like the only one that doesn't fit like the okay. other ones. Well, Petro the, Canada. the other ones became, don't fit more
3: than that one. Okay, that's fair. Petro Canada became a thing like the year after 1981. Oh, really? And was oh. a crown corporation. Via Rail is a crown corporation. Oh, I knew corporation. it was a crown corporation.
1: I just didn't think yeah. it was back then.
3: Via Rail okay. was indeed a crown corporation. The Royal Canadian Mint did not become a crown corporation until the 60s. Really? And Canada Post became a crown corporation in, yes, 1981. <laughs> for the full three points, chain. How much did a stamp cost in 1981? You go to the post office, you're mailing a letter to your grandma. How much did it cost? 30 cents, 10 cents, 20 cents, 5 cents.
1: 1981, I would go with, God, I wish there was 25.
3: The only one that doesn't
1: fit in Ryan's pattern would be 5 cents and all this, but that's way too long ago. So I'll go with 20 cents. Going in the middle.
3: 20 cents is incorrect, Mm, uh, incorrect. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, well, yeah, of course you can. Yeah. Yeah, You can go for steal. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 30 cents.
3: 30 cents is correct. Yes. that is correct. Right now a stamp costs a dollar and seven cents in Canada. 30 cents. 1981 is worth 94 cents today.
1: Here's a tip buy your stamps, buy a big book of them cuz they're permanent stamps now. You don't actually do yep. the sense. So even if you don't use them for um you know a year or two, you don't have to add any more on it. You can just use them. I got stamps from like 5 years ago. They're permanent. You really? can keep using them. Huh. Yep. Cool. I did not know a little that. Tip. A little tip. There you go. Saving well, you money. Well, All right. Well, there it is. Sorry, Bob babe. Game Showy. Who's the big winner?
3: It's Brendan Kelly by just a one point margin on a steal. Wow, that was, tough. That was a tight game in Game Showy.
1: congratulations to Brendan Kelly, who's definitely not going to buzz me out when I'm saying. He's awesome. Thanks for listening to Game Showy. Remember to get your pets spayed or neutered. Oh, congratulations, buddy. Well done.
0: Yeah, I finally won. I seemed to get them all right, but somehow lose. And now I finally put it together. Get them all right and somehow lose. This is the Shift Podcast.
1: If you could know when the clock runs out, would you want to know? That's a tough one, isn't it? It really is a tough one. Now, we can get super hippie on this and talk about how time is just a construct of man, man. And we can talk about time, just this construct that the man puts on us. Or we can be present to now, man. And we can let our inner flower child out, which is a really cool way to be, by the way. I love it. But the reality that we all face is one thing in common. The end. So what does that look like? Now, I don't want to sound all dark about it, because the study of being old turns out has a lot to do with the study of being young. Morgan Levine, PhD, assistant professor adjunct in pathology, uh, joins us here, a Yale School of Medicine from San Diego. Uh, yeah, so study of the old folks. Hey, Morgan.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more a study of what happens between the time and when we think we're young and when we now consider ourselves old. So what are all the changes that made us older biologically? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think the changes are that I went to bed healthy and uninjured and I woke up injured. Um, But all jokes aside with that stuff, when you study aging and all of these things around aging, uh, your own life, you must kind of get in those moments where you, you get up and maybe you know the knees are a little sore after the the workout or whatever, and you're like, "Oh, there it is,
2: <laughs> oh yeah, it makes me very self aware of all the aging that I'm undergoing, and yeah, the fact yeah. that my my mild time is way worse than even when I was like twelve years old, so yeah Isn't that
1: crazy, all yeah. those things, yeah, it is very grounding it's an interesting conversation to get into to get into all of these things, like what are the aging clocks and and I would say that if anybody gets the chance, whether it's just a quick Google about what is the average lifespan of people from Canada or from the United States, or if it's somebody who, who really, you know, is digging into this, or I was just looking at some, some family history stuff on family crests and whatnot. And there's a, a feature on some of those websites that says, here's the average lifespan of the Hewitts through all of the seasons and eras. You can't help but look at that, right? You can't.
2: We it, it's amazing how much diversity in life expectancy you have, even among just humans. Let alone then when you look at you know all these different species on the planet.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, well let's talk about it. If you could know, would you want to know aging clocks and all those things? Can we know? Can, is there a magic device? Is there an app for our our Apple Watch now that <laughs> ticks down the
2: countdown? At, well there's an app for everything right is what they say yeah, um,
1: that's be scary scary app
2: yeah so um there isn't it's not it's not like a watch i think there's some justin timberlake movie right where they have a countdown yeah, on their wrists countdown. um <laughs> that's not what this is but we do have better ways to kind of estimate how much your body has changed biologically and kind of on a biological level, what age you actually look like, and this has relevance for disease risk, for future life expectancy. And the reason it, even though it sounds very scary, the potential there is actually, actually—it's we think it's modifiable. So knowing your number, you have a little bit more ability to actually intervene and hopefully slow that process down.
1: Do you find people when they learn that number that your sort of true age thing, do you find that does inspire people to adjust a little bit? Because I imagine some people find out, oh, hey, by the way, uh, you know, m- my knees are beat up because I was a mechanic and, you know, I was climbing around all the time versus someone who sat at a desk and might go, you know, uh, I'm actually doing pretty good here because my body isn't very great. But by the way, I've got an extra 30 or 40 pounds in my belly. I've, you know, I've aged a little bit in my face. Uh, do you, does, does it, do you see the results when people start to say, Oh, okay. Well, once I know the number that becomes workable,
2: Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, people seem to report that it gives them more incentive to try and improve their lifestyle habits and their behaviors. Um, We haven't done actual research to see whether this changes people's behaviors, but Mm -hmm. we do know from other domains, whether it's people who are trying to lose weight, they actually do better if they weigh themselves or, you know, any other kind of thing. If you're monitoring, you're probably better at actually trying to optimize whatever that value is that you're aiming for
1: have a tangible number, be aware of the number. It, it, it's kind of like, sounds like you're banking, right? Your, yeah. your finances, you're supposed to pay attention to a little bit. Just know the number. You might not have to like the number, but just know the number. Yep. Okay. So how do how do we look at this? How do we know, Uh, you know, what, what is the TikTok before we go? Like, how do we know that?
2: Yeah. So there's no necessarily agreed upon way to measure this biological age, Uh, there are a bunch of different methods people have developed to try and get at it, some more in depth, some, you know, easier kind of at home things you can do. Uh, So probably the most simple is just there are kind of these functional assessments people can do. So how physically able are you to do certain things? How many diseases have you been diagnosed with? Um, I'm not talking about ones that people are born with, but actually accumulated over their lifespan. Um, and then there's much more in-depth ones which actually take DNA samples and look at these chemical tags and assess the pattern of that, which is tends to be associated with aging. So you have a certain pattern. We say, oh, it looks like you're a six-year-old or a 40-year-old or whatever it may be.
1: Mm-hmm. So the fountain of youth, um, you know, we seem to strive for it when we talk about age. I mean, that becomes the, the sort of the fountain of youth that that secret ticket to do it. Is there any work that is started present itself? I mean, I suppose it's probably everything that our moms told us we should eat our vegetables and, and yeah, eat your carrots so you can see in the dark and all those things. Um, are there any, is there any real tangible Info that we can take away now because our lifestyles have changed so much. Our lifestyles have changed in the way we live our days, the way we work our days. I would say stress levels probably up a little bit for most people.
2: Yeah. So it's a lot of those health behaviors we've heard about all our lives. So eat your vegetables, eat whole foods. Exercise seems to be a really big factor. Um, And like you said, minimize what we would consider chronic stress. So this isn't, you know, your day-to-day small stressors, but things that kind of plague on you continuously all the time. Um, and then other things that a lot of people maybe aren't paying too much attention to is making sure you're getting good quality sleep and enough mm. sleep and, you know, all the all the regular things. And of course, there are scientists trying to actually develop therapeutics or different ways to help. But um, nothing's really been proven out yet in that department.
1: So you do this research. Every party you go to, everyone says to you, so how old do you think I am? Yeah, exactly. Does that become the cliche of, of your work?
2: Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's an app for that. You can actually do a facial aging app and it'll no. predict how old you are. Yeah. Seriously? Yep.
1: Oh, it's probably some. They're scanning your face and selling it to
2: Oh, I'm sure. international. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have no idea where that data goes after. but
1: Oh, that's amazing. Um okay so how, wh- where does this go? I mean we, why do I mean I mean you're not a psychologist but I imagine there's must be an element of that in this where you say you know why do we want to do this? Is it just because of the fact that people want to live longer? That do you find that people just want to know the number? My family it was always just before your 74th birthday. That was it. Everybody was just before your 74th oh, wow. birthday, but sure as can be my dad who is probably Uh, Has the longest list of ailments. Is now turning seventy-five. So he's broken through that. But in the in the the relationship part of it, those few months leading up to seventy-four, I got to tell you, were a little stressful.
2: (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah, that that sounds like a very stressful, what feels like curse to have to like literally everybody. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's amazing.
2: Yeah. Um, So I think the the thing that most people don't recognize this, aging this isn't ne- necessarily just about your lifespan but aging is actually the biggest risk factor for most of the diseases that people are worried about whether it's cancer alzheimer's disease diabetes um i actually usually ask people what's the biggest risk factor for lung cancer and the majority of people will say smoking but actually Age is a huge, much larger risk factor for lung cancer than than just smoking. So what what we actually think is if you can slow your aging process, you can either reduce your risk of disease or at least prevent it for much longer and and have more kind of healthy years of life.
1: Okay, so if age is that, I I was always given this example, and I think that's what resonated to me, probably because of my background in radio and music and all those things. Back in the day, we used to dub a cassette tape with our favorite songs on it, uh, or you'd get a mixtape. From somewhere and it was amazing. And then you'd you'd say your friend, Hey, can I borrow your mixtape? And then you copy the mixtape because you could do that. But every single copy, and this is a little bit of radio inside baseball with magnetic tape, it degrades. Every single time you copy it, it degrades, it degrades, it degrades. It's not like digital today where a duplicate is a duplicate. And that's the way it was described to me that our bodies are like our bodies are like that cassette tape and your cells are constantly duplicating 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 but they don't quite always get it exactly right and therefore our the mixtape of our bodies the mixtape of our lives is slowly starting to sound a little bit more warbled not as loud as it used to be and all of that is is that a fair look for all of us that don't understand the PhD stuff about what really goes on in our bodies with aging, you talk about lungs that maybe as those cells duplicate over the course of time, they're not as strong as they used to be.
2: That is certainly one aspect of aging. So we actually use this as a model in the lab where we take cells in a dish, and we just have them replicate over time. And, and, you know, every few days, we measure these different Uh, molecular aspects about them. And we can actually see the exact same process that we see when we measure biological age in a human in these cells. So again, it's this idea of there are these errors or changes that are accumulating. Some of them are probably due to the just imperfect copying, but there are probably other things too that are going on as well. And you have, you know, nasty things that accumulate in your, Mm. you know, blood and tissues as well. But That's definitely one aspect of it.
1: Like say your cholesterol is high and it's just contributes to the way things are changing. Simple stuff like that.
2: Yeah, that. And then you also, you know, proteins in your body, proteins have to fold in a certain way to be functional. But, you know, you get proteins that don't fold correctly and then they can clump together and form these nasty, what we call aggregates and stuff like that.
1: Mm hmm. That sounds like a real party in the lab. Oh yeah, <laughs> these it's fancy fun. words. <laughs> so, uh, uh, aging clocks. I mean, there's no magic way to type it in and and do that. But if we wanted to look at it, how do we go about this, Morgan? How do we go and say, okay, am I on track for one of these, you know, 60s, 58, 60s kind of, you know, expiration dates? Or if I, some people they want to be the the grandma the great grandma they want to have all the babies around they're they're going all the way man i'm pushing for three digits yep. how can we look at this and 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 look at that clock and be able to say what is my aging clock how can i get there what do i need to do is there is there anything
2: yeah so first sh- people have had a regular physical where you get your you know normal lab values back things like cholesterol that you mentioned, um, there are actually measures online where you can just go and input about there's about nine different tests that assuming you have them, they're pretty standard. So most people will um, Like just go to
1: the doctor get blood work kind of test. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, and that'll actually give you back a uh, predicted biological age um, based on those. And people can track those over time. And that's technically free, assuming you have coverage to cover the lab test. If people want to invest a little bit more, you can do what's called the epigenetic testing, which was what I kind of referenced before, where we're looking at these chemical tags on the DNA. So for that, there's different companies that offer different tests. And they're usually their saliva sample or a blood sample from a finger prick. You send it off to the lab. It sequences and analyzes your sample, pumps it through this algorithm, and gives you back your predicted age.
1: So there's probably no warranty on that work, though, right? Because once you, it's, like, it's not like you can come back and ask for your money back. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So, okay. Have you done it for yourself? Time to confess. Have you gone through for yourself and the curiosity got the best of you? And you're like, I need to know my number?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've done both of those um, for myself and I did what most people consider well, but being in the field and thinking about this stuff every day. I didn't do as well as I had hoped, um, yeah. so I think I was- So can
1: you, can you share your number of what-
2: Yeah, what your, I, was, your... I was four years younger, so I did it last year when I was 36 chronologically and got 32 on the biological age test.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so is there any history in your family that you look forward on that where you say, okay, well, you know, my grandmas are all 80 something like what what, do you take that to there now and go, okay, well, so far, I'm ahead of the game. What's next?
2: Uh, So it's probably for my family history, probably a mixed bag. So I have some, you know, long lived healthy people and then some average and then actually, uh, my paternal grandmother died when she was younger than I am. So it's hard to say. You know, mm. I have the whole range, I guess you could say, in terms of my history. No extreme, extremely long-lived people that are, you know, 100 or a, in the 110s. But. Yeah,
1: there's none of that in my family. Yep. Um. Okay, so this is always the hippie question, though, that comes to mind for me. And I love this question in general, is that if you didn't know the construct of time, how old do you think you are? Like, how old are you if you don't know the number if you don't know how many times the sun has gone around and the if you didn't have the cake and the candle and the number would you even how old do you think you would be
2: yeah i mean except for where i am in life i feel very similar to when i was in my 20s i mean yes i can every now and then i say oh you know i can see it a little bit or feel it a little bit but i i don't feel like a different person i i always actually like to ask people When you're dreaming, what age are you in that dream? Because I feel like that may, too, get kind of a subconscious of how old someone perceives.
1: Well, there's that. And there's also the fact that when I look at people who are older, and then I've become that age, you know, when you're in your 20s, and then you get to your 30s, and I'm in my 40s. So when you go from your 30s to your 40s, you always go like, oh, I'm... I'll go way back. I remember when I was DJing, I was 18 years old because in Canada, in my province, you can go to the bar at 18. So I was DJing even before I was 18 in the bars. And I remember I was seeing these these guys and they were like 22. And I was like, I never want to be that guy. They're way too old to be in here, right? And then, of course, you go through all the years and then you get to 22 or 28 or 30 or 35. And you're like, yeah, this feels way different than I thought it would feel like I thought I thought 40 was old, old, old. But turns out you don't feel a whole lot different, so it is kind of curious about whether we need to know the numbers aside from the stay healthy part
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and and all the stuff wrapped around that do you Do you hand that off to psychologists? Do you do a little collaboration in that part because that must weigh on it? I mean the psychosomatic part is big
2: yeah, and there's actually been studies on this, so you know, perceiving yourself as a younger age, they actually think people do. Not, quote, become younger, but, you know, manifest that um, Mm -hmm. as well. We do know in terms of predicting disease or mortality or whatever it is, actually self-rated health is not that great an indicator because- I guess people are too optimistic about how healthy they actually are. Well, I,
1: I say I'm healthy as I pour a bag of chips into a bowl and eat some <laughs> chips, right? I'm like, yep. this is healthy because I went up the stairs today and then I eat potato chips. So yeah, yeah I'm full of crap with that stuff.
2: No, I think I we that. all are. So I think we always think we're better off until all of a sudden it kind of, yeah, we get that surprise. Yeah, it, all
1: starts, it all starts to change. Okay, so our DNA like actual DNA, DNA. So you've spoken to the biology of our cells, how they're moving, changing, growing, all of that. Does the DNA actually have an impact on this? Is there anything that you guys have discovered or worked with? And I asked this question because I have, I'm so far out of my lane with no, that. Um, that is there anything inside the DNA that becomes an indicator where you can say, hey, by the way, you've got the, the blue dot. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. And that means, by the way, you're in good shape.
2: Yeah. So it's not, we're not actually seeing that you're getting changes in your genes themselves. Um, yes, people get some mutations that arise with aging, but again, it's, it's how your DNA is almost packaged in your cells. that seems to be a big thing that changes with age. And what that does is just says which parts of your DNA are actually being used for that cell. Um, and what we know is, you know, you could have, Essentially, your brain cells have the exact same DNA as your skin cells, but clearly they look different and they do different things. And Mm -hmm. that has to do with this kind of packaging and what we call epigenetics. Um, But what we also know is a young skin cell looks very different from an old skin cell. And so again, we can go in and look at kind of that packaging and, and those kind of chemical changes. And from there, infer something about the rate of aging in a tissue in a cell in a dish, or whatever it may be.
1: Oh, see, that's fascinating. That's fascinating because in theory, your DNA is the same or almost the same, even though the almost, cell itself yeah. is uh, is even though the cell itself is drastically different than it was before. So, oh, that's fascinating. So, how did you get into this? I'm, I'm assuming that you didn't just all of a sudden, when you were a young person in high school or whatever, go, "Hey, I want to know how long I'm going to live for." Or, uh, how did you fall into all this?
2: I mean, I have been actually very interested in aging for a very really? long time. And I think it's because when I was born, my dad was in his, his mid fifties. So
1: oh, interesting.
2: I thought about aging at a much younger age, I think, than a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. I recognized he was older than all my friends, parents, and I was very worried. Is he going to be alive, you know, to see my kids or to see me graduate from college or whatever it may be? And so. I got very interested in this and health and then in college wanted was pre-med and then changed my mind and said, I want to do research and then kind of followed this. I, I actually discovered that there's a whole field. There's actually a legitimate field focused on aging and then. Yeah. Took it from there.
1: So it worked out. Yep. What are you most excited about in this when it comes to your work and your research, when you kind of go to work every day? I mean, there's an awful lot of, you know, inside the, the, the structures and systems of study i mean you've got to fulfill that in order for it to qualify as being science so uh, there's a lot of that routine and those things to fulfill but what do you get most excited about when you look at all this is there there there's a light that you see differently as a researcher in this
2: yeah i mean it i think it's just the ability to do things we never thought were possible so you know we've actually moved away from not just measuring age in cells to actually having potentially ways to manipulate them and actually not just let cells age forward, but actually turn them back. Um, So there are now new kind of biological and genetic techniques that you can actually reverse a cell in terms of its aging profile. So you can take an 80 year old skin cell and make it look essentially like an embryonic cell. So I think to me, this is one of the most exciting things. And then, you know, there's constantly new discoveries that you never even imagined and just, it never gets kind of stale.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like I can hear uh, our community, uh, listening community, we call them shift heads. And I feel like I can hear uh, all of the the people who are partnered up going, can you make my husband grow
0: up? <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Right? Like, I feel like that's a thing. But is this endless life, endless living forever uh, notion? Is it something that, you know, that people are, are truly working towards or, or is it? Just one of the pieces of the puzzle that the 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 circle of life. Not to get all Lion King on you.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely there are some people very interested in can you crack and like quotes like cure aging. Um, right. I'm not one of those people that actually think we're going to stop aging indefinitely and turn into some kind of dystopian Y age novel. Um, I actually <laughs> think you know all I want to do is prevent or maybe reverse the onset of certain diseases. For as long as possible, there's probably, I would imagine, an upper limit to human life expectancy, unless we somehow truly remake what it means to be a human. Um, so for me, it's about just keeping people as healthy as long as possible.
1: I um, vitality comes to mind when you say that. That so many of us we work so hard and then we retire and then we we're tired and then we you know are sore and mm-hmm. we don't really live into the vitality of our lives that we always wished we could. If the notion is, is that you can get a bit of a, a bit of a reset bump, even if the, even if the deadline didn't change, if you still called the deadline 90, right? Or a hundred, that even if that deadline wasn't a change, but if you could get a little bit more vitality, just a little bit more, I mean, even 10 minutes would make a difference, right? And in your day. And so if you could get a little bit more vitality to it, why would you not chase that?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think for me, that's always the selling point in aging that really got me hooked too. It's not, oh, I want to live forever, but it's imagine your same lifespan. You're not going to change that. But would you rather spend the last five years or even one year in a state at which you maybe not are now, but a much younger kind of healthier, more, as you said, with more vitality state? And I think i don't I don't know a single person that would say no to that
1: yeah, well, here's so many stories right about oh, his mind was so clear and so sharp, mm-hmm. um but his body just kind of give up on him so the opportunity to correct that would be so good so um, Morgan you there's no magic number you're gonna tell me am I gonna break seventy four yeah you got nothing
2: As, Not yeah, I don't know yet uh, i'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna guess yes uh, okay each generation seems to be living longer, so
1: statistically statistically, I'm good. you will yeah. Okay, well, thank you. I don't care if you're lying to me right now. I'm going to take it. I call that one of those good lies, so yeah. I'll take it. As, uh, this is amazing. This is fascinating. We will post uh, this particular Aging Clocks article that uh, you're a part of at shiftheads.ca, which is our Facebook group. I truly appreciate you being here. And I, hey, the invitation is there. As you learn more about this, come back and tell us because I think this is fascinating. And regardless of, I think, our nerdness in it, it's a little bit of human nature, that's at play here that I think everybody kind of wants to know. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, thank you for having me, Shane.
3: This is the shift podcast.
1: What is going on in Ukraine today? One of the things that I think is incredibly important is to keep the conversation, um, keep the conversation going. Uh, The news is the news and the news is going to do the news things. And some days there isn't, news to us international people. Well, if you're in Ukraine, there's news absolutely every day, without a doubt. It is there. It is happening. It is. This is life. You and I don't wake up to air raid sirens. So what we... Uh, in our world may not consider it to be news is most certainly news there. Let's keep the conversation live even better. How about we don't get any interpretation? How about we don't have to read someone else's uh, writing? How about we just get it from the eyes and the ears and directly from Ukrainian in Kiev? Stepan Berko joins us. Some of the news that is coming out of Ukraine uh, is some blame game stuff. And I find this really interesting right now is that um, that some of the blame game is that it's the West's fault that Russia might be changing some of their focus. Stepan, I think we've got you now. Um, uh, how are things going? How are you doing? And uh, are you still in Kiev? I learned not to take this for granted, this question.
4: Yes, I'm in Kiev. Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, things are pretty much fine. Um, good despite you know air sirens and stuff but all the things else is okay
1: it's so amazing that answer is so good right like it really is to be saying that you know today today we made it today we did all right and um and that's such a great answer to hear so thank you for for giving us that um the one of the biggest things that i i read in this step in is that the the blame game for for this headline and this is a bbc headline it says um, Ukraine war. Russia's Lavrov says it's ready to expand war aims. And the claim is, is, is this. And th- this is sort of the expectation that was there all along. Well, because the West is helping Ukraine now, now we're going to have to do more into Ukraine. It's kind of. You know, the crap that we expected to hear out of Russia, but at the same time, every excuse that they can come up with to do something atrocious seems to be what they're doing. What are you hearing in Ukraine about these accusations that because they're getting help, the Ukrainians need to be pay pay more punishment?
4: Oh, this is just some, you know, blah blah blah, uh, from from the from from the, from Lavrov. Because I want to remind uh, you and everyone else that the main objective uh, of uh, Russian um, aggression from the very beginning was to occupy the whole territory of Ukraine, and that hasn't changed despite any additional help from Western countries. It's uh, the opposite. The help uh, of military help and financial help uh, of uh, Western democracies helps us Ukrainians to defend our country and uh, uh, stop Russians where they are right now. So they managed to occupy uh, about one-fifth of our territory together with with, uh, what they occupied in 2014. Uh, and obviously they are angry, uh, from the fact that they are not able to, to succeed, uh, and to accomplish their plans and they have mm. nothing else to, to do, but to, you know, blame the West or anyone else. It's everyone.
1: Oh, I just lost him there for one sec. We're going to get you to reconnect there, Stepan. just so you know, um, the, the power of the internet over the course of the, uh. Uh, over the course of the the international relations is is just one of those things that happens from time to time, and uh, Stepan Berko is in Kiev. Um, he's in Ukraine. And sorry, you were just saying about um, about Russia and and where they're at when we lost you.
4: Yeah, I, I was saying that uh, it's it's them to blame for for this war, and it's them to blame for. Uh for not uh, succeeding with their initial plans and they they uh, but instead they are trying to find anyone else except themselves for saying why they are losing uh at mm-hmm. least in in accomplishing their initial plans can i
1: ask you about work i know that uh, working from home and working from the office it's sort of been uh, a little bit of all of the above for for you guys getting work done um, do you get to see your colleagues? And I, I'm just guessing, kind of curious in the, the human angle, Step is the, the, you go to, you get to see the people and it must be difficult to not talk about all things war and still get into the work and get, get the work done. Or what's it like if you could describe what a day is like in, in meetings? I mean, we get a meeting and we're like, we say, how was your weekend? Right. And everyone tells a little bit of a story and then off we go to get the work done. What's it like for you? I would imagine, the temptation to talk about all of the things all the time must be must be difficult to get work done
4: mm, you see our organization we right now don't have an office in cave because when we moved to western part of ukraine we dropped our old office so mm-hmm. yeah we're having conversations via zoom obviously and uh, of course the war and the uh, the situation in the east and the south it's uh uh, you know, squeezes in uh, the topics that we're <laughs> covering during, you know, our work, uh, usual, usual work conversations. Um, I would say that uh, it's like everyone is trying to concentrate on work, but still this background, uh, I wouldn't say noise, but background situation is always uh, influencing and kind of drags our attention. Uh, you know, because you're checking the news every day, checking how the troops are doing, whether there are or where any missile attacks on other cities. And um, it's it's harder to concentrate, uh, obviously, in, in, in days when there are uh, some bad news, obviously. So let's say you're working on a project, then you read the news about some missile attack and you see the videos of uh, people uh, killed children killed, especially for example the one of the recent ones in Vinitza where so many people uh, were killed downtown city and you know your work stops because you 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 have no uh, uh, absolutely no motivation to do anything. you constantly think about these people innocent people who died for nothing uh, and uh, you just have to take a few days of you know um, you know, self, uh, uh, like thinking of, uh, you know, that this is new reality. You have to, you have to somehow find a way to work, and you know, it takes, it takes some uh, time and it takes some resources. But uh, many people, they, they kind of get used to it. It's just no other way to do it. Yeah, it makes me really
1: curious that. You know, how, how do you do that? I mean, do you do you go for a walk? Do you, uh, you know, reconciling and reflecting on on what happened uh, that day or what the news you heard and somebody that, you know, and and all of those things. And, and I appreciate your honest, open heart with this part of the conversation step on, because when you're in Kiev and uh, if I think back to the other wars right way back, you know, almost a 100 years ago that you know, letters and news took time. So people went about their days, they did their jobs, and they didn't really get a lot of info until the paper came. In today's world, something can happen somewhere, and a family member or friend can just send you a text message and say, by the way, this just happened. So it's very real time. And what I'm curious about is when you're managing, you, you as a country are working so incredibly hard to keep the economy up so there is the funding, the financing and all the things that are there to be able to continue to build your country and fight against uh, Russia in this scenario. So the the situation's different than we see in the movies from the past. Right. It, it's it's business as normal and, and get it all done. But then you're getting hit with all this stuff all the time. This these messages of of bad things that are happening or could happen and whatever. Do you just sometimes have to put it down and. And go for a walk or or go see a friend for coffee or just go play with your your child or how how do you manage that?
4: Yeah, a a quick walk helps. And uh, I think the most uh, useful instrument is just to talk to someone because uh, you have to talk it through. Uh, If you if you uh, share your feelings with someone who has similar feelings about the whole situation, uh, it helps to, you know, feel that you're not alone. That uh, it's normal to be afraid. It's normal to feel uh, mm. compassion to those people who are suffering and to feel this empathy. And, uh, you know, when, when you, you know, some people are more uh, strong uh, and they have more optimism. Some people are uh, more pessimist. Uh, and uh, when you share this, uh, your thoughts,
1: We lost you there for one quick sec, just so you know. Uh, we will get the reconnection back again. This is uh, this happens from time to time. It is the power of the Internet. And uh, and uh, we will get Stepan Berko as he joins us from Kyiv uh, live here on the shift. So uh, get you back there. Sorry, we lost you just on the last word there, Stepan.
4: Yeah, so uh, basically when you talk about these things with someone you trust and you can be open uh, on these topics, it helps you feel that you're not alone you're together and uh, we will make it obviously it's it's not working every time for example you know uh, just two weeks ago i had to attend the funeral of a friend of mine who fought in the east and uh, these pictures of his uh, 7 year old daughter crying uh, uh, you know it takes time it takes uh, not even a day or two uh, but uh, and you see another some other good news some good news on on on, on uh, social media or from uh, your friends and you understand that it's going to be up and downs for a bit, for a while, but eventually we will we will somehow find a way to withstand this situation and, and live live, live uh, further.
1: Uh, the news around the world is that uh, Putin has been traveling, is in Iran. He's doing those things. There was also other speculation that he was sick. Um, that's what's been passed around Western media. What do you see that's going on here that we don't see step on? Like What is some of the information that is uh, that is passed around, around Ukrainians as the most important things of the day today? Is there anything that we're probably not hearing about this far away?
4: I think uh, a thing that is out of focus in Western media is that despite this war, despite heavy fighting, we're still trying to implement our reforms. So it's like fighting on one side and implementing some reforms on the other side. Me and my organization were you know, closely following the judicial reform. And uh, for last month and a half, it was uh, intensified so... Uh, It's like parallel worlds. One is trying to fix the institutions inside the country so the country, the state, is stronger and more effective in fighting Russia. And it's really complicated because you can imagine how many uh, security concerns there are for conducting some interviews and checking the integrity of uh, people who are applying for these uh, very uh, important institutions in the judiciary. But I would say that despite this all, uh, we managed to find a way to you know, live with the war and at the same time do these important uh, reforms. Because we understand if, you know, small, small Soviet country or post-Soviet country cannot win against a big Soviet or post-Soviet country. So we have to be more democratic, we have to be more, um, you know, uh, Institutionally strengthened to to withstand this pressure, both on on the uh, battlefield and on the institutional level.
1: So, for us, uh, your uh, you know your background in law as a lawyer and all those things for us that don't have that education does is that really I might be oversimplifying it, but is it really just making sure that you know laws, reforms, policies, all of those things inside the judicial system are up to standard of where the country wants to go versus some of these old scripts and structures and schemes from the old Soviet era that are, are lingering echoes or shadows inside the books. Is that what it is that you've got to really try to dig through and, and refresh those things? Is is that what you mean?
4: It's both, but uh, the main, the main uh, point is that, uh, you know, um, uh, people in Ukraine, they don't really trust the judiciary because we have yeah. this Soviet heritage and we have this, our own heritage of uh, bribes in the judiciary. And uh, the main goal right now is to form this uh, top institutions in the judiciary that make sure that if judge is not following a law, he's dismissed. And these cases will then build, gradually build this trust of society in judiciary and this, and you know, the government as a whole, so when people feel that they can trust the government and they can trust their state, they are more eager to uh, defend the state because they understand what they are fighting for. So not only because uh, they're fighting for their children or their relatives, but they're also fighting for justice that can be uh, you know, guaranteed by the state you're fighting for.
1: Isn't it amazing when you think of it from that perspective that this whole country of Ukrainians that have gone through this like really a uh, young country since you've become independent. And there's a lot of change that has to happen. There's a lot of old echoes of the past that sort of cast shadows over the world today or over the country today. And yet all these people are so proud of the heritage. And so imp- if you believe it's so important, even though that there are all kinds of problems inside that, as you speak of, that they're still believing in it, even if they don't trust it, they still believe in the notion of it to the point that they're willing to try to literally throw rocks and Molotov cocktails at tanks in streets to fight for it. Like, it, I think that if you took this and you, you take it to any other topic or any other country for that matter, if you didn't trust the government or some of the, the old world things that are there, I'm not quite sure people would fight the same way. And it really does acknowledge the importance of the history uh, of of Ukrainians, even if the, the politics aren't the best these days.
4: You see, it's it's a post-colonial heritage and it's Ukrainian history because we were deprived of our state for so many years. Uh, we say it's more than three hundred years, and there is a saying of our uh, one of our famous uh, politicians who uh, from the nineties that. Uh, it's good to have your state and uh, defend it. Uh, and it's better than losing your state and then you know being traumatized about losing your state. So even mm. if it's not perfect, if even if you don't ha- always have ju- justice, even if you have corruption and stuff, it's better to have this state that can protect you as a Ukrainian than have no state and then being subjugated to some other nations or some other circumstances and i think uh, we as ukrainians we cherish our state because we had 30 years of liberty uh, and uh, that's something that we didn't have during the occupation of the soviet time and you know liberty is probably one of the
1: oh we lost you for one sec there again we got to get you to double check that just so you know i got to check that connection one more time uh, having liberty and, and living your life being, uh, you know, uh, knowing the new world of it, uh, you were saying we lost that liberty there where, um, where you've known this for, for 30 years.
4: Yeah, we, we've we had this experience of liberty, and I would say, uh, almost absolute liberty for 30 years. And it's something we didn't have during the Soviet occupation. And, uh, you know, this is the most expensive, expensive thing you can get. So if you lose liberty, It's really hard to get it back and that's why i think people are so eager to to defend this country because even if it's it has some problems but the liberty is something that it can guarantee and it has been guaranteeing for 30 years
1: i have uh we have another friend here on the shift uh he is a ukrainian and from the eastern end of ukraine with a lot of uh russian family ties and uh, his name is Greg Fish. He's in California and he shares with us quite often his experience. And when we'd ask him about Ukraine, we'd say, well, what, where did you live? What would you do? And he said, we lived in one of those cities that visitors weren't allowed to come to and we built, uh, truck parts that looked an awful lot like rockets. And that's sort of how he described it. Now you're a young man uh, as well. Do you, do you remember from being a kid and, and that old world or do you have to rely on your family to know how bad it was before all of this?
4: i was born in the last year of the soviet union but uh, i mean the the 90s were harsh because we we had to transition from this uh uh common economy to market economy and i can feel that uh, you know this was not very easy and that means that you know life during the soviet time was not easy either and i remember my dad telling me that when when i was like a, a, a toddler he could not buy milk for me because there was no milk and i could just this is a very easy example how bad just from the economical economic point of view was life in the soviet times you cannot you could not buy some essential food for your for your child and uh, my family um, my my grandfather and my great-grandfather they were uh, you know uh, punished for for being ukrainians my my uh, grandmother was sent to siberia when she was five so i i know these stories and i know that these this experience is really traumatized uh, traumatizing our nation was traumatizing nation and we're still living through this uh, experience and uh, you know knowing that this was our uh, life everyday life just you know 50 60 years ago And knowing this experience of 30 years, having, you know, absolute liberty, it's worth fighting for this liberty. It's worth fighting for, you know, for for the fact that your child will not be sent to Siberia or uh, will not be pushed to do whatever he or she doesn't want to do.
1: That's amazing. And talk about inspiring, right? Just remembering those stories. And if ever you wanted to know where the... uh, um tenacity comes from of the Ukrainian people, uh, it is not very long ago. I mean, th- these years you speak of 30 years ago, I mean, I would have been, you know, just getting into high school and uh, and just finishing high school. So that in itself is it, it doesn't it, it doesn't feel so long ago. Uh, and if you just think of it, how far that this uh, independence has come, it just I guess you you can you can get it a little bit why it is so incredibly uh, worth fighting for. Thank you very much for being here, Stefan, and and it's great to see you, and and I'm I'm really glad that you can share this time with us. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast.
1: Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.